Podcast New York. What's up, Dueling Decades? This is Wax. Peace to all you guys, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Will it be the 90s or the 80s? Beanie Babies or Crack Babies? Will it be Nirvana or Madonna? Maybe Britney, maybe Whitney. Do you like new metal or new wave? Dave Grohl or Super Dave? I don't know. But now the battle begins. Dueling Decades. Let's see who wins. Dueling Decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York studios, it's another all-new Dueling Decades. The adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back. I am Mark James, and this week I will be representing the best of June 1985 alongside the other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, he likes the nightlife. He's got to boogie. Say hello to Man Crush. Were you looking at my picks? No. Because it feels... It feels like you're looking at my picks with that, but he's correct. I have June of 1975, lots of boogieing, disco, and probably cocaine and sweatiness, but let's see what everybody else has. Also joining us on the panel is a man who for most of his life has been living in the gangster's paradise. Please welcome the incomparable Mike Ranger. Hello, everybody. I'm Mike Ranger. It's my first day on the job. And I've come to you with the wrong homework assignment, the best of 1996. Some of my picks are in June. (laughs) We just talked about this at length, but I think this is going to be interesting because I think from this episode, we're going to see how 1996 was actually my graduation year, not a terrible year. We get to see how that whole year stacks up against a couple months in the 80s and 70s. So, or 70s and 80s, however you want to look at it, but Way to go, Mike. Oh, thanks. Thank, thank, <laughs> thanks for the uh, kind words and not verbally chastising me. <laughs> not yet. And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So he's back. The brazen badass from Beantown, the host of the Selling Out Show, All Rise for Judge Dave Schultz. Hello, hello, hello. I'm so happy to be back. And uh, Mike, actually, even though he did screw up his homework, kind of has an advantage because 1996 was a hell of a year. Now he can pick freely uh, from whatever he wants. But I do have to say this. June is the month of my birthday. So it's going to take a lot to impress me, boys. Do your best. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five dueling decades categories, movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie, after all five rounds, we will go to a final wild card round. Remember, duelers, to review the show. Like, subscribe, and play along at home. It's time for more Dueling Decades. All right, let's go right over to our guest judge for tonight, Mr. Dave Schultz. All right, you know I like to bring unique things to flip, to throw in the air. Um, and this time I brought a shiny object. But it's not uh, pointy. It won't hurt you. So it's not a fork or a knife. Yet instead, I brought a... um. A 
empty wrapper for Mad Magazine trading cards from 1992. I happen to be a big Mad fan. I I don't think Man Crush is. Mark, you like Mad? I, oh, I no, I Mad. did. I had a lot. I oh, did you? Mad. Yeah, I have lots of Mad Mag. I just want to ask you, mm. though. Where are the cards, and how long ago did you take them out? Oh, uh, I don't know. I got these not so long ago, but they're sitting somewhere. I did open them because I, I just couldn't bear not to know what was inside. So, but I did keep the wrapper I was too. Just which wondering is weird. why you had an empty wrapper. Oh yeah, I was like, why? Does he, why do you have an empty wrapper? Because I'm a collector, <laughs> and that's what collectors do. Strange wait, stuff. Do you have, wait, you have other wrappers as well? Uh, I think I might have some more Mad Magazine wrappers. Ah, uh, nobody cares. Uh, All right, let's yeah, just go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so. <laughs> The front of this wrapper, the shiny wrapper, has Alfred E. Newman on it. I don't know if people can see it here on the video, so I'm describing it. And on the back, the card company Lime Rock. Um, yeah, and the UPC code. So, heads will be Alfred, and the back will be the UPC. All right, so this week the coin toss will be between Mike Ranger and Man Crush. Man Crush, why don't you call it this week? Wow, I never call these. Yeah. Uh Let's go heads. All right. There's a lot of cool shit on the front there. Yeah, it is very awesome. Let's go. And it is tails. You lose. You stink. <laughs> Mike, it's all you, baby. It barely rotated. All right, Mike Ranger. You won the coin toss. You get to go first. What category are we going with? Well, it's a good question, Mark. I, I, I don't even know if I deserve a pick considering uh, how bad I fucked this up. Uh, but let's see. I think you have to start with a June. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. Because I actually, while we were sitting here and I was sulking and I was ready to cry, I did a little bit of digging here. And let's see, where will we go? Where are we going to start with? Uh, all right. You know what? Let's start with music. Ooh. On June 25th, 1996, on Rockefeller and Priority Records came the debut album by Jay-Z, Reasonable Doubt, featuring production by DJ Premier, Jazzo, and Clark Kent, and guest appearances by Memphis Bleak, Mary J. Blige, The Notorious B.I.G., Sauce Money, and Big Jazz. The 14-track album explores the hustler lifestyle and mafia themes over the album's nearly 60-minute runtime. Though not an immediate success, the album only sold about 420,000 copies in its first year. The album featured four singles, which only one reached the top 40. On February 7, 2002, the album was certified platinum by the RIAA but remains the lowest charting album of Jay-Z's career. Despite the numbers, this is my favorite offering from Jay-Z and is considered a landmark album for the hip-hop culture. Funny story, I remember being in a Sam Goody with one of my friends, and he chose this album, and I went with the High School High soundtrack. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Time will a, tell on that High School High soundtrack. Well, you know, my, <laughs> my line of thinking was there was more variety. Yeah. Yeah, I lost. That's not bad. I lost. Isn't but that has a lot of variety on it too. He's got a lot of collaborations on there still, doesn't he? Well, he's got collaborations, but like outside of like the producers, like obviously you have Biggie on there, but Memphis Bleak is from his neighborhood. Nobody knows who he is yet. Yeah, you have Mary J. Blige. You do have Foxy Brown on it, but it's a Foxy yeah, that's Brown. That's what I was gonna ask you, Foxy Brown. It's early Foxy Brown. You kind of well, it's the, it's all songs about pussy and cum and and fucking either way, right? Uh, well, that's a little bit more Little Kim. However, oh okay. However, I thought Foxy did that. She, too. she does it a little bit, not quite as All much. Right. Just on the weekends, yeah. right. you know. <laughs> Only in the summertime. All right, man, crush. What did you bring for the music round? Well, that's uh, that's hard to stack up against. But it's June, so it's fair game. So let's go June tenth, two 
1975. And for the first time in a while, I, I couldn't find a musical track that I could really get behind here. And you're just dealt with the hand you're given, unless you're Mike Ranger, where you choose the entire year. Um, so, you know, you either love this song, you hate this song, but everyone knows the song. And being that this is 1975 and discos are starting to take off like no other, it's no wonder that the this song would hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 twice. Uh, this track, it hit number one in November. It got knocked out by another disco track. And then it came back to regain that number one slot within the same month. I think it was like uh, in December. So within 30 days, it picked it up again. And apparently this is not something that happens very often. So at least it had that going for it. Uh, but when you look at the lyrics, this is a sexually inspired disco track. All right. They use the same word in this song. 86 motherfucking times. 86. I counted them one at a time. Uh, I actually, the first time I counted, I got 88, but then I went back and I redid it. I'm pretty sure it's 86, but if it's 88, give me credit for that too. It's a short word, but it's a word that it's used to express satisfaction, triumph, or a surprise. And depending on where you look at this song for the lyrics, it's spelled either aha or uh-huh. All right. So I'm frankly, I'm torn. I think it works either way. Uh, interestingly, the original version of this song that they wanted to release sounded much more sexual. It had, uh, moans in it of pleasure. Uh, but luckily for everyone, they toned that shit down because, you know, the sexual undertones of the song, I mean, what they did actually in, uh, in 1975, they lumped this into a niche that they called sex rock. Not even disco. They called it sex rock. And apparently sex rock was heavily opposed by Jesse Jackson, of all people, who uh, he was pressuring the music distributors through what he had a thing called Operation Push. It was people united to save humanity, uh, but they failed to do anything. So there's that. Uh, but it's it, the whole thing is kind of funny to me because I remember the song from a 90s Burger King commercial. And there ain't nothing sexual about that, although. Mark, you might remember this when we did poop culture. There was a viral video going around about a guy having sexual relations uh, with a Big Mac. No, it was a chicken sandwich. Oh, it was a chicken sandwich. Yes, it was but, a chicken but sandwich. But that was, but it was a McDonald's chicken sandwich, right? Yeah. Okay. So lots of mayonnaise. Good, good lube, obviously. So McDonald's, they missed the boat. Excellent marketing opportunity. They could have brought yeah. this back. I think that was like 2016 or 2017. It is what it is. But I give you, uh, it's Casey and the Sunshine Band. That's the way. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I like it. And that, uh-huh. I'm telling you, look at the lyrics, and you're going to be like, what? Uh, but, yeah, that over Jay-Z, probably. Casey and the Sunshine Band, also the nickname for my dick and balls. Just so yeah, you know. I mean, that's good. Uh-huh. I like it. So it's a three-piece band. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So we'll go 10 years to the day ahead of Man Crush's pick. For, uh, for my music selection this week, it was released on June 10th, 1985. And it sold 2 million albums off the back of two big singles. Uh, one is a song about a hippie chick that once told the lead singer of this band that she used to drop acid and lay in a field next to the Yoohoo factory in Baltimore and hallucinate about her having like an out-of-body experience and just flying out of her body amongst all the houses. 
The other song is a joyous look at the apocalypse sent to an up-tempo Zydeco beat. I give you Little Creatures by Talking Heads. With the hit singles, And She Was and Road to Nowhere. And She Was, it reached number 54 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Now, drummer Chris Franz said of the song, It's a story about a woman who has the power to levitate above the ground. And check out all of her neighbors, all from kind of like a bird's eye view. Now, the guy who's writing the song, he's in love with her. And he kind of wishes she would be, you know, kind of more normal and just come back down to the ground. Now, the other big track on that album, Road to Nowhere, it made it to number 25 on the Billboard Mainstream Rock Tracks, and it appeared in Little Monsters and in Reality Bites, two movies that are absolutely nothing alike. So as an album, Little Creatures peaked at number 20 on the U.S. Billboard 200, and in a 1985 review, Rob Tidenbaum of Rolling Stone said, uh, Burning Company presents an album that tries to shrug off their weighty reputation. The songs are simple and clearly rooted in pop structures. Burn injects a feeling of lyrical giddiness that almost makes them sound like a different band. So I give you Little Creatures by Talking Heads, a band that I don't think comes up enough on this show. Big fan of their work. Uh, June 10th, 1985. It's the same way I felt about KC and the Sunshine Band, so I brought it up. (laughs) all right let's kick it over to our guest judge dave schultz for the ruling on the music round okay i guess i'm gonna be the one that uh brings this up okay this is usually uh, man crushes duty but i'm taking the mantle tonight Uh, with this music category i'm looking for something that has legs okay (laughs) something that just survives the test of time and it's just quality goods now, with Mike, the Jay-Z album, I'm not really a Jay-Z fan, so I'm not familiar with it. I do realize that, you know, launched this monster career, and this guy is loaded beyond belief. Doesn't he own uh, the Brooklyn Nets and stuff? And uh, he's married to Beyonce. I mean, come on. That's uh, impressive, right? I think he sold part of his, his ownership in the Nets. Oh, he sold something? Well, yeah. He's good still for loaded. him. Yeah, poor poor bastard. Yeah. Oh, no, I just sold, <laughs> sold some of my ownership in the, in the ah, Nets. It's not doing good this year. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, Mark. I like your pick. I, I really do. Even though I'm very interested in this whole Yoohoo factory thing. I really am. You know, it was a girl that David Byrne went to high school with mm-hmm. and she was telling him about how she used to drop acid yeah. and lay in this field that was right next to the Yoohoo factory. And he just thought the imagery of uh, somebody having like an outer body experience surrounded by the fast food and corporate world was kind of uh, an interesting visual. Yeah. Imagine if she was taking acid in a field next to her Kmart. You might not have gotten the same <laughs> the same album here. You know, it's really uh, you who is the linchpin. So that's very interesting to me. Uh, Blue Light Special. <laughs> 1975 Man Crush. You know, I'm a little upset with you. I'm, I'm displeased with you right now because... Why? Because it wasn't a wrestling pick? No, no. Nothing to me with wrestling. Don't even talk about wrestling with me. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> because when I came with the Mad Magazine wrapper to flip, you were kind of giving me shit about having an empty wrapper. Yet you confessed to counting all the, uh, was it ahas in this song? Not once. <laughs> research. Yeah, research. Twice. But twice. And you had it wrong the first time, so... You know, come on now. That's but, why we do it twice. Yeah. To make sure that you get it right. Well, yeah. Okay. Whatever. Uh, and then, uh, actually, I'll, I'll, uh, the, the second time I actually opened it up in a full page and did a find and realized that it just showed you the number. 
but the first time I actually did count it. <laughs> but did you listen to it and count it, or you just look at the lyrics and count it? No, I looked at the lyrics. There's no way I can. I'd be dancing all over the place. Yeah, right. You wouldn't be able to stop those <laughs> hips from shaking. Uh, I do like the fact that there was a uh, group called Push that was fighting against the sexual innuendo By in Jesse the music Jackson. industry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, Push. Think about that for a second. Uh, thanks to your pick, now I know sex rock beats pet rock. This is very important to me. <laughs> and I actually owned a Casey and the Sunshine Band CD back in the day. I think it was actually 1996. So to harken back to Mike's year, just because I thought it'd be cool. <laughs> like, I, I, you know what I mean? Like, you have all your CDs and you're like, yeah, look how diverse I am. Look how cool I am. I, I got like metal rock. Oh, yeah, I got some Casey and the Sunshine Band. So if somebody put it on. You're like, no, no, no uh, yeah. Well. I like to listen to it sometimes. I found out that's what Mock names his twig and berries, so I had to smash it and throw it away. <laughs> but I, I, back to the whole legs thing, right? If you ask me which song or album is going to make you get up and boogie, feel good, all that good stuff, I think we got to uh, give 1975 the win here Woo! with Casey and the Sunshine Band. That's the way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I like it. Now, if that's a sex song, you would figure that that gets people hot. Does it get you hot? But you're asking me? Yeah. Uh, I mean, why don't you guys answer general. that first, and I'll jump in later. Uh, I would. I would say no. Okay. Doesn't get. But you, I uh, think Randy. if we if they if they took that song and they put it to the chicken sandwich mm. video, it would. I think it would be even more viral. Yeah. Would you agree with that? If if that song was outside of a YooHoo factory, my dick would be in every bottle of fucking YooHoo. <laughs> It'd be fucking crazy. I'd be sore for months. Thank God it's got that wide top, huh? Yeah, I need it. <laughs> All right, Man Crush, you pick up our first point, but more importantly, you take control of the board and get to select our next category. Where are we going, man? Mm, man, I'm I'm be quite honest. Uh, I have a very strong June of 1975 that I think can hang with the entire year of 1996. Uh, so I'm going to go to news for round two. All righty. All right. So let's go. Uh, first is going to be June 16th, 1975. And how about some sports? You know, it's been a while since I've had a sports pick on the show. Like, it's, I can't even remember the last sports pick I had. Dave, I know you told me not to mention wrestling. And don't worry. This is not a wrestling pick. All right. So we, we won't fight about it. But it, this one, it's about basketball. Okay. You can fight about basketball, too, if you want. We can. We'll see what happens. It's it's about a blockbuster trade. All right. Uh, This is a player that was drafted on a totally different name. And he was an absolute man amongst boys right from the get-go. His rookie year averages 29 points a game, 15 rebounds. And then won his first NBA championship in his second year in the league. Uh, in the process, he uh, he led the league in scoring twice. He won three MVP awards in 1971, 72, and 74. However, he felt that Milwaukee just wasn't cultural enough for him. So he demanded a trade, and he would only go to New York or Los Angeles. Well, on June 16th, the Milwaukee Bucks finally gave in his demands. They traded him off to the L.A. Lakers for center Elmore Smith, Guard Brian Winters, the second overall pick in the draft, who was a power forward, it was Dave Myers, and the eighth overall pick in the draft, small forward, Junior Bridgman. All right, just a little background on what Milwaukee got here. So they got Elmore Smith. He only lasted one season 
in Milwaukee before he was gone. Brian Winters, he actually had a pretty decent career with the Bucks before retiring in 1983. Dave Myers, he would never live up to that second overall pick status. He retired after four seasons to devote more time to the Jehovah Witness faith. Nothing wrong with that, but hey, four years. He was the number two pick in the draft. And this uh this whole draft, it, it lasted two months. Like they, these two teams were like talking for like two months, going back and forth right after the draft. I think it got a little heavier, but the whole thing was Dave Myers wanted a one and a half million dollar contract. This is 1975. So they, they wanted to make sure that the Lakers signed this guy before they even did the deal. And he was the first one to retire. It was off the team in four years. Kind of shitty. And then uh, Junior Bridgman, he was uh, the guy that I was talking about. That was the eighth overall selection. He actually would become like a sixth man from Milwaukee for like the next eight years. So he was probably the most valuable of their side of those four picks or four players. On the other side, you had center Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He would go on to play for the next 14 years in Los Angeles before retiring and getting his own pair of LA gear sneakers in 1989. So that's a pretty big uh, caveat there. Uh, during that run, he won uh, five NBA championships with the Lakers. Uh, he had an NBA finals MVP in 1985. He had three NBA MVPs overall during that time and 14 all-star games. Not too shabby. I guess uh, the Lakers got the best of this one. It's always fun. I love trades. Cause like in the moment, you know, I'm a Mets and a Jets fan. Mike knows this is a Mets fan. Whenever we trade somebody away, especially like it's for picks, we're like, oh, that guy's going to be good. And I feel like we're always on this other side. Like we are right now. Like we trade away our best player or like our hot prospects, but our hot prospects go on to be fucking studs. And we get a guy back who's like a perennial all-star that sucks balls. And in this case, the Lakers, uh, they killed it. But yeah, it's uh, Kareem getting traded to the Lakers, wow. June sixteenth, nineteen seventy five. Well, I'm uh, really glad I skipped over the uh, nineteen eighty five NBA Finals for the news pick. So <laughs> <laughs> I did find something else, and I went with that. So for my news pick, we'll go over to the LA Weekly, uh, June sixth, nineteen eighty five. We're gonna look at the the club and live music listings, and we find one here for Doug Weston's Troubadour. On Santa Monica Boulevard. Says no age limit, drinks and dinner, legendary career launching spot for innumerable artists over the years. The bar's longtime hangout for musicians like Elton John and Linda Ronstadt. Uh, inside the nightclub, there's long, plain wooden tables that stretch out from a stage that will feature entertainment from heavy metal to the latest new rock bands. Cover weeknights is usually about four bucks. You, you then look at the weekly lineup, we find. Thursday, June 6th, 1985, you have three bands that night, Mistreater, Guns N' Roses, and Fine Line. This would be the first show with what would become the quintessential GNR lineup. Axl Rose, Slash, Duff McKagan, Izzy Stradlin, and drummer Steven Adler. Now, leading up to that show, Duff would book a tour that not only would test the band, but prove to be the breaking point for two of its members prompting then-guitarist Tracy Guns and drummer Rod Gardner to quit the band, enter Slash and Adler, and then this show at the Troubadour. And just before, GNR would set off on what would become known as the Hell Tour. 48 hours after this show, 
the new band would all cram into one of their friend's late 70s cars. Well, their friend's car ended up breaking down on the way to Seattle. So after that, it kind of became like a bizarro heavy metal planes, trains, and automobiles as they tried to hitchhike their way to Seattle, getting rides from farm workers, strung out speed freak truckers, and then finally meeting up with a pair of old hippie chicks who bought them all food and drove them to Portland, Oregon, where one of Duff's friends would pick them up only to get to the show and then have to play the show with all borrowed equipment to a pretty much an empty room. Slash explains it in his book, uh, What Drives Us, the shared experience resulting in a bonding that you don't even realize is happening at the time. So it was an event that shaped the band and the future of rock history. It's the first Guns N' Roses show in the Hell Tour, June 1985. Wow. They reported on them in the news? Yeah. They, well, they didn't report on them, but I found the listing for their first show. Oh. Yeah. All right, Mike, what do you have for the news round? Well, before I get started, I'd like to both, uh, I'd like to congratulate you both for picking something that actually happened in June. Uh, <laughs> you know, probably something I should have done. You know, maybe I could have went with maybe uh, Ted Kaczynski getting indicted on multiple charges. Probably would have been a better idea, but I didn't do the research for that, so I can't speak on it. But what I can tell you is that on September 7th, 1996, in Las Vegas, Nevada, at precisely 11.15 p.m., hip-hop icon Tupac Shakur was fatally shot while stopped at a red light. The rapper was hit with four 40 caliber bullets. Prior events, at a f- prior events of a physical altercation between Death Row Associates and a member of the Southside Crips in the MGM Grand Hotel lobby following the Mike Tyson fight led to the shooting. Uh, Tupac was in critical care until Friday, September 13, 1996, and pronounced dead at 4.03 p.m. Pacific time. The artist was just 25 years old. Until I saw that documentary, I always thought he died right there on the street, on the strip. It's, it's still crazy. That's a tough one. Way to bring down the show, Mike. Thanks a lot, man. Uh, yeah, I it's, could... a best, it's a best of the month. You got that part right. But... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> best of Tupac dies. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Mike's bringing it. All right. Let's throw it over to Dave Schultz for his ruling on the news round. Okie dokie, Smokey. Let's see, 75, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, that's uh, an important trade because L.A., even though I'm not a fan of L.A. because I'm a Boston guy, you know, uh, was really big for not only the Lakers, but him and his star would shine brightest on the West Coast, right? Because if he wasn't on the Lakers, he didn't have all that, you know, buzz around him would we have ever gotten you know roger murdoch an airplane <laughs> this is this is very, the important thing very true very true if he was still in milwaukee you know that <laughs> may have never happened that'd make me sad he's got legs very long legs he does that have might very not long have been legs. in the man crush three either so i mean yeah. fuck uh, what, what would i be right now <laughs> god 85 you get the first gnr show at the troubadour you lost me with that whole trip thing, though. I didn't know what you were trying to sell me on at first. It was like, yeah, they stole a gas card. They ran here and there and everywhere. And well, well what's, what's this whole story about? And plus, why why didn't you use that in the music round? Why'd you save that for the news round? Couldn't that have been a, a maybe a better choice for you? Than Sounds the, like he's got a banger. 
He might have a banger. Actually, no. We just did the music round. Yeah, we just yeah, did he, it. What the fuck? He had talking heads, right? So in the Yoo-Hoo. Yoo-Hoo factory. Because the, the only news I could find, there was a lot of downer stuff or political stuff or Reagan did this. Mm-hmm. Anything then, worse than Mike having Tupac, Tupac shot on the street? Yeah, well. That was know. a huge story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just thought that that whole journey that they went on, if they didn't go through those early trials and tribulations in uh, June of 85, they probably wouldn't have become the band that they were. It was that lineup just came together that they played that one show with the Troubadour, and then they hit the road and everything went wrong. So it was kind of a, a bonding experience. So I thought that was kind of a good story. Oh, yeah, it was interesting enough. I just, you know, first I was like, is he trying to sell me on the story or the show? I don't know what the hell is going on here. <laughs> But I am clueless half the time, so who knows? Well, it all happened in Ju- in June of '85. So. This is correct, right? So you hit the month. You you, you followed the <laughs> rules. I understand what you're trying to tell me here. You're like, ah, oh, don't don't you dare pick Mike, because I follow the June uh, guidelines here. But let me tell you, though, Mike, yeah, he brought us all down. But you know that was that was a huge story. Now I'm not a, a Tupac fan, but back in the the '90s, in the early '90s, up in the mid '90s. Uh, being a teenager, you got your news from MTV, right? That, that, or in school. Ta- Tabitha Soren, I believe. Yeah, or if you're in school, a lot of kids had like Channel One, live from the Hacienda. In, in, uh, did you have you guys have that in uh, Homeroom? No? It's like when no. Anderson no. Cooper got started. No? Okay, whatever. I uh, forget I even said that. But still, MTV, right? Everybody remembers uh, Kurt Cobain kills himself, and everybody's glued to MTV and Kurt Loder. Yep. Uh, yeah. being all bummed out delivering that information. But he's like thing. 85 years old now. Is he? I don't know. He's, he's still alive? insanely old. Yeah. Oh, okay. Still looks the Which same. Is crazy. Got dudes Probably. made of wax. <laughs> okay. I'm glad we've established that. Kurt Loder is made of wax. <laughs> Do not get him near uh, fireplaces or any kind of exposed heat. But the Tupac thing, it, it's, it's huge, right? And I, I was trying to say and kind of elaborate on the fact that I do not care for Tupac's music. It wasn't important to me, but that whole thing, the whole scene, the, the, again, we're talking about the LA and Boston, right? The, the East coast versus the West coast and that feud and, and Biggie getting shot and Tupac and hell, we wouldn't even have fucking holograms now of artists if it wasn't for Tupac. (laughs) Right. So there I go on right now. I'm weighing out uh, Roger Murdoch versus Tupac hologram. Which one, which one was the best here? Which one was the, the most important thing? And I'm not trying to discredit you, Mark, at all. Uh, GNR, of course, is huge, too. I mean, it's one of the biggest rock bands of all time. And like you said, this, this crazy road trip is like the clay to which they were sculpted from to make this beautiful artwork unleashed upon the world. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. So here we go. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm teeter-tottering here between... 75 and 96. So, I don't know. That guy's alive still. What, what does that have to do with anything? It has legs. He has legs. Okay. Well, listen. You, what you sh- like ears. No, 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 no. What you should have done, what? and this is, this is you know, something you should have really thought about, especially with me coming on the show. Compare what he was worth, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, in 1975, <laughs> and then adjusted to inflation to uh, 2021. Do you want that? So at the time, oh, geez. He, was ma- he was making $500,000 per season. Uh-huh. All right. So you're looking at $500,000. He's about $5 million bucks a year. 
you just go off the top of your head with that? Or are you looking on a computer? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of averaging what it would be based off of uh, other things that I have adjusted for you oh. for inflation. So, a, like a hundred dollars mm-hmm. in 1975 mm-hmm. is five hundred dollars today. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm I'm guessing here it'd be about five million bucks. Okay. How much is a gallon of milk? Oh, <laughs> but like it's crazy though because like when you when you're looking at inflation for uh for sports salaries it really balloons in the 90s and it blows it out of proportion because if you look at it if they just stayed the same keel like even keel all yeah. the way through 75 these guys would be getting paid like five six million bucks and it would still be a lot but now they're getting paid like right. what do basketball players on a max salary get now like 20 million 25 i'll start with Jawan howard thanks a lot Jawan. Jeez. yeah so he would have been a bargain. Well, okay. Well, let, let's just establish this as well. Before we even started he the had show. He LA Gears. LA Gears. Wonderful. His own LA Gears. Yes. He wouldn't have got great. that if he didn't get traded to, to LA. Yeah. That's not as Im- impressive as the movie Airplane, which I brought up earlier. I mean, the sneakers. Whatever. Yeah. It ties in too. Yeah. Okay. Drinking problem. <laughs> so we, we already established that even though Mike fucked up, he's still uh, legit. So his he, picks. He's even keel. He's, he's is, is cool. Is cool. So, yeah. all right. And I think that Tupac, being such a huge musical icon, um, dying and being killed is much a, a bigger event, a newsworthy event, than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar being traded, which is also important. But, Mike, can, this is a pity fuck. You win. <laughs> so, somehow it's not nearly as satisfying. No. It's yeah. not the way you like it. Uh-uh, uh-uh. uh-huh. <laughs> Oh man! All right, Mike Ranger, you pick up a point, you take control of the board, and you get to select our next category. All right. Well, you know what? I'm going to stick with uh, whatever I could find in June here because I feel like that's the fairest thing to do. I don't want to just take my best stuff into the two-point rounds. Oh, what a I, yeah! What I got to be you know I, I've embarrassed myself enough. You know, I spent a whole fucking week doing this, <laughs> doing the wrong fucking thing. <laughs> All right, here we go. We're going to go with a hot product. Development for this hot product of 1996 began in 1993 under the name Project Reality. And on June 23rd in Japan, September 29th uh, in in the U.S., 1996, Nintendo gave North America the Nintendo 64. The technology was developed by Silicon Graphics, Inc. and was was originally offered to Sega, but much like Nintendo did with Sony, Sega passed on the project. The N64 launched with three games, Super Mario 64, Pilot Wings, and a game exclusive to Japan that I can't even pronounce, uh, originally costing $199.99, Time Magazine named it Machine of the Year in 1996. The system produced well over 300 games, but chose to stick with cartridges, unlike its competitors, the PlayStation and the Sega Saturn, which stuck with the CD format. Uh, all in all, over 32 million units were sold worldwide. Wow. Nintendo 64, worst controller ever. <laughs> Wait, so it went for it went for sale then, or they announced? Uh, it went for sale in Japan on June twenty third. Ah, okay. I like the N sixty four controller. That's what it. That's when it got dicey for me. Like once it it got away from that square block, I my. <laughs> Do you stuck. also like the Intellivision controller? No. Yeah, anything that's very basic, like the Atari controller, I'm the bomb at one button, fucking stick in the middle, got that shit down. All right, Man Crush, what did you bring for the hot products round? All right, so let's go to June 22nd 
1975. And here's this tour. It actually started on June 1st. But since we get the entire month of June to choose from, unless you're Mike Ranger, where you get a whole year, I'm going to cherry pick uh, from some of the dates in the middle of the month. And I looked at a bunch of these dates prior. And actually, when the tour started, even the dates before the one I'm talking about, they sold out. So, like, there were second dates added to those dates. Uh, there was one where they played two in the same day. But the middle of the month here, it's just unprecedented. Uh, everything about this tour, it's just epic. I mean, you think about 1975, think rock, about rock and roll and everything. It's great. All right. So, it, it all begins with a press conference to announce the tour in New York City. And as the story goes, it goes like this. So, like, journalists... Fans alike, they all flocked into the front of Fifth Avenue or the Fifth Avenue Hotel, which is in Greenwich Village, for this huge concert announcement. However, instead of the band showing up to this to do the big announcement, comedian Irwin Corey showed up instead. And everyone in the crowd was just like puzzled, like, what the fuck is going on? Meanwhile, the press and everyone else are the, the sat in the crowd. Well, Professor Irwin Corey, he delivers this like incoherent performance in the front of the hotel and word starts to spread amongst the crowd that the band, they never actually showed up to the hotel. Then all of a sudden people start hearing Brown Sugar, the song Brown Sugar playing in the distance. It turns out instead of showing up to the press conference, the Rolling Stones, they got on a flatbed truck with gigantic amps and instead of Going to the announcement at the hotel, they played an extended live rendition of Brown Sugar while they rolled down Fifth Avenue to the front of the hotel. They finished the song. The truck drives down Fifth Avenue a little bit. Band gets out. They get into limos. They get jettisoned off. They never even attend the press conference. That's rock and roll as fuck, right? But did it work? Like, did that work? Well, on June 22nd, and that's why I went to this date, the Rolling Stones, they played their first of six consecutive sold-out shows in Madison Square Garden. So I I guess it did the trick, right? Uh, the Rolling Stones, they came to New York City to disarm, to charm, to tease, to titillate, to deafen, to incite, and otherwise captivate all of us New Yorkers, except for me because I wasn't born. But the, the concert, it made musical history. In these parts, at least it sold out all six shows in just hours after that announcement that I just talked about at the Fifth Avenue Hotel. Since the announcement, people, they were, I read multiple articles about this. People had their tickets and they were guarding them with their lives. If they bought it, if you're a Rolling Stone fan, they had them in lock boxes. Like people were talking about all these different ways they were putting, stashing these tickets away so you couldn't get it. Or they were selling them. And these tickets, they, the top ticket value was $12.50. Dave, mm-hmm. for you? Yes. <laughs> Around 60 bucks in 2021 for the, the best ticket in the house, right? Uh-huh. But people were selling these on the street for 100 bucks, And that's why I knew like the, the calculation before. So that's around $500 in 2021. So it kind of fucking worked. Like th- this little press thing that they did, it shit worked. So this tour, it was actually the first of Mick Taylor's or uh, the first tour after Mick Taylor left and they replaced him with Ron Wood on guitars. It had a giant replica cock on stage. 
It had a 70-foot, six-petaled lotus flower. They had 100 steel drummers scattered throughout the audience. They had a rope that Mick Jagger could swing on into the crowd. This show was so massive in Madison Square Garden. Just to control the crowds, the NYPD had 50 patrolmen outside of the venue. They had five sergeants, two captains, five mounted policemen, one Mountie sergeant coming from each district around the city. I mean, like, wow, rock, fucking rock and roll, dude. 1975. It's the Rolling Stones tour of America's 1975. And I hope you got your tickets before you had to blow some dude down an alley to get a discount <laughs> because this shit was hot. This is this is a hot product right there. Wow. It's for you, Dave. Thanks. Judge Schultz. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, so for my hot products, let's take a spin to the old comics rack. So in June of 1985, you had the X-Men. They were battling the Juggernaut again. And uh, Spider-Man, he was uh, slinging around the city in his new swanky black new suit. But if we go over to the DC side, uh, we see the bright yellow and green cover, cover of Swamp Thing, number 37. Now, what makes this uh, issue so special is... You know, not only is Swamp Thing reborn, or, or I, I mean regrown in this issue, uh, it's also the debut of a new character from the great Alan Moore. Now, it's a character that would go on to match, if not pass Swamp Thing in popularity, and he would go on to star in his very own series, Hellblazer. That would go on to be the longest running and most successful titles of DC's Vertigo imprint. Now, this character would also be spun off into movies, television, even video games, and would be infamously portrayed by Keanu Reeves in the major motion picture. I give you the debut of John Constantine, or Constantine, depending on who you're talking to and their level of fanboyness. Now, if you've ever noticed in the comics how John Constantine looks a little familiar, that's because the original design was so he resembled the singer Sting from The Police. Now, in this issue, Constantine meets up with our hero and reveals to Swamp Thing what he truly is, an elemental, and that he can regrow virtually anywhere. So, also, Satan's coming and he's going to destroy us all. So, I give you the rebirth of Swamp Thing and the birth of one of DC's most badass characters, the cigarette-smoking Brit, John Constantine, in Swamp Thing, number 37. Whoa. June 1985. <laughs> That's all I ever saw when was Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Whoa. No Whoa. way. <laughs> all right, let's toss it over to Dave Schultz for his ruling on the Hot Products round. What a dick. Whoa. Let's do this uh, sequentially as they were presented to me. Uh, 1996, the N64. I got a little backstory on that, as a matter of fact, because, uh, Mike, you mentioned it had the game Pilot Wings. Now, back then, I had a buddy who's this real sinister prick, right? This guy was, <laughs> he was, he was rotten to the core. But like any devil in disguise, he, he had a teacher, he was a teacher's pet. So one of his teachers asked him to house it for a week. And, uh, basically, he threw a, a week long party, as we like to call it. Where uh, we, not we, sorry, I'm, I'm not associated with this. I got to distance myself from this. <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, completely trashed the house and it was just complete debauchery for seven days straight. But the reason 
why I bring out the pilot wings, because that was our barometer. If you could fly through the little hoops in one of the levels of the game, you were okay to drive. <laughs> <laughs> this is the logic of uh, idiotic teenagers uh, back in 96, 97, around that, that time period. So First, you have to play Chuck Yeager's Flight Simulator, and then you can get your kids. Yeah, basically. So you can do pilot wings, dude. You are so set to drive. You're cool, Allegedly. Man. Allegedly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, I yeah. know nothing about that. Don't. <laughs> My name's changing everything. You can call me uh, something else. Now, 1975, the Rolling Stones, the tickets. The ticket is a hot product because uh, they got scalped. They put on one hell of a show, like you said, with giant dongs and friggin' tin cans and i forgot the name they actually they called it something because i guess half the time the uh, the giant cock on stage didn't work all the way mm-hmm. so it was like kind of bent over so uh, they had a name for it but i can't remember what yeah, it was called. It was called mark james so uh <laughs> i'm just kidding i was gonna say dick jagger but dick yeah <laughs> that's good too i like dick that jagger. now uh for extra credit Maybe some bonus points to kind of help you win the round. I'm curious if Man Crush can actually shimmy like Mick Jagger. You got any no, moves? Not where I'm, not where I'm sitting right now. Oh yeah, it would be like it would be like. Oh this. oh, look at him go! <laughs> oh. Hold on, wait, hold on. I'll make it better. <laughs> there we go. Oh, you get the lights on. Oh, <laughs> the podcasting audience, you really got to hit YouTube. You got to check yeah. out these. I don't think that was Mick Jagger. That was like you having a seizure. Someone got a wallet. <laughs> So he doesn't bite his tongue. Yeah. Save man crush. Hashtag. I can't move. That sounds like you uh, You can't get any satisfaction over there. He cannot. I can't get no. You look like you have some brown sugar in your underwear. You're trying to. Brown sugar. Just. He sharded. Just. Uh, let's, sharded. Let's go to 1985. And I got to say, Mark, you beautiful bastard. <laughs> you beautiful. You're the smartest man alive. I swear to God, you are. You know you are. You know what you did. Because I am a huge Swamp Thing fan. I collect all kinds of Swamp Thing stuff, paraphernalia, empty wrappers, anything. His underwear. Yeah, dude. No, I swear to God. I got, I got everything. You name it. I, I fucking love Swamp Thing. And the moment you said that, uh, speaking of seeing the show on YouTube, my face lit up and I was doing a little shimmy in my chair out of excitement to hear you talk. You even brought up the Constantine compared to Constantine. Oh, such good stuff. Uh, how he was based on Sting. Man, that Alan Moore run of Swamp Thing was absolutely monumental and inspirational for the way comics would be shaped in the future. Now, the character himself has been featured in movies, like you mentioned, by Keanu Reeves, uh, live action TV, animation. He's got legs. He's got <laughs> he, he's he's got that staying power. Yeah, Rolling Stones don't have legs. No, no, no. <laughs> that was easy top. So, uh, yeah, in Swamp Swamp Thing thirty seven is one of the most sought after. Issues aside from House of Secrets number 92, which was Swamp Thing's first appearance. So, uh, good luck getting one on eBay there. Yeah, yeah, they're about 600 bucks right now. It, it all depends on the condition, yeah. But yeah. I mean, people go gaga over it, and uh, as they should. So, um, hey, you told us you got vaccinated, so just know that you have Keith Richards' blood in you. But go ahead. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> this is all pre show. I'm talking about vaccinations, and you're talking about <laughs> Keith Richards' blood. Where, how does this even get associated? What's the conspiracy? That, dude. Uh, I'm not going to go into it because we'll get banned off YouTube. Oh, oh, oh. I would take his blood. The guy's a cop. You have his blood. It's, dude, he, why do you think uh, that shit kills everything? Good. Yeah. You're like, oh, you're going to get injected with a chip, right? Yeah. The stones have been around for so long. By now, 
everybody's like one tenth Mick Jagger and has a little bit of uh, a little bit of blood in them. You know, just... <laughs> yeah, you saw me dance before. I definitely have. Oh, no. Tenth. He's got Charlie Watts <laughs> written all over him. Man crush, <laughs> the drummer. He's he's got no rhythm. Well, he's got rhythm, but I mean, he can't he can't shake. He can't do his. Uh, but uh, yeah, Mac, you butted me up, and I love it. I love every fucking second of it. It's such it's, it's awesome. Why does your voice get so low? Oh, I'm having a moment. I'm so we're we're by you buddies now, me and Mac. This is oh, this is unbelievable. Um, so you know how I'm gonna lean, and to the left. Yeah, a little bit to the left, a little bit, a little bit to the right, and just stick it right in the center there. And 1985, it's got to win with it. It Swamp Thing number 30, volume two, number 37. By the way, wow. to show off my my nerdy side. <laughs> but yes, Mac, congratulations! I fucking love you. <laughs> All right, well, I tie up this game, heading into our first two point round, and I get control of the board. You know what, gentlemen? Uh, let's go to the movies round. Ooh. Well, so for my movie, there is, you know, nothing I can really say to sell you on this movie that you don't already know. There's no beating around the bush for this one. June 7th, 1985, The Goonies was released. So I didn't want to bore you with all the same stuff you've heard. If you've watched the documentaries, listened to the podcasts, all the reviews, we know The Goonies. So we're going to go to the Pittsburgh Press, June 7th, 1985 where I found a review where this guy absolutely rips it apart. The headline reads, Steven Spielberg fails to regain touch with obnoxious Goonies by Ed Blank. Dear Steven Spielberg, now let's make it, hey, Steve, I know you're going to the bank and you'll be there all summer with Goonies opening today throughout the country and with E.T. returning on July 12th. So we'll make this an open letter and hope it reaches you on a bank holiday. Then he kind of goes into like a recap of all the movies Spielberg has done up to the done over the years up to that point. Then he gets to the Goonies and he says, "You've given us seven kids, Goonies, who speak and act obnoxiously. Are they supposed to be delightful? Some of them would look best jackknifed across their father's knees, preferably with paddles flapping. For plot, you give us Goonies competing with opera singing goons who find a treasure deep within a cave." Why? Because someone is about to foreclose on the kids' homes. Come on, Steve, from you? We've had villainous foreclosures in at least five movies just since last fall. Oh, yeah, and then there's that whole speech one kid recites to another about why they shouldn't leave the cave without the loot. Something about its parents' time up there, but ours down here. Now, I couldn't follow it, or the reasoning. What the heck? Then, you fox, you dumped all kinds of goodies in the Goonies with all within the vague limits of PG. You put in the mouths of your babes a broad enough variety of PG expletives in name-calling to provoke giggles and gurgles from every kid not already being hauled up the aisle by an irate adult. Oh yeah, the jokes? There's one about a grandfather relieving himself and another about a boy's naked mother. And how about that scene in which a Goonie repeatedly humiliates a Spanish-speaking day worker? Is she a bureaucrat? A bully? What's going on with that? And why scenes of a child tied up and being terrorized sadistically and all for our amusement is funnier just because the captive is fat? Where's the magic, the sweetness, and the adventure in all of this? 
It isn't the Hardy Boys stuff, Steve. The Goonies isn't even a model of craftsmanship the way your other disappointments were. I give you the Goonies, June 7th, 1985. It sounded like it was a review written in 2021. <laughs> no, it was actually in the newspaper. I couldn't believe it. This guy rips it apart. Like, did we even watch the same movie, dude? What's going on? <laughs> what would you say uh, Spielberg's best movie is, in your opinion? I'm just wondering. I don't know, man. He's got some bangers. Jaws. Yeah, yeah. Jaws, indie. God, yeah, it's it's really hard to pick. It's dude, it's a it's an amazing fucking career. It's, <laughs> for that guy to even write that is like lunatic. Yeah. Whatever. It kind of just all depends what mood you're in at the time. Somebody asks you what the best Spielberg movie is. Yeah, I mean, like that's the thing. Like yeah. he went all the way to like Schindler's List. I mean, right, which I love that movie, and I could watch it all the time. But you got to be in the right mindset. You got to. <laughs> You know, you can't watch that movie all the time. (laughs) Ben Kingsley's performance in that is amazing. Oh, wow. I was going to say, yeah, because I brought up Jaws. You can watch Jaws anytime when you're depressed, when you're happy. It doesn't matter. Schindler's List. When it's on, you always watch it. Yeah, Schindler's List. Jesus Christ, man. (laughs) What dark. Yeah, no shit. Oh, it's Christmas Day. Oh, look what I got. I got Schindler's List. Just put it on. (laughs) Want to watch a Christmas story? No, I got Schindler's List. (laughs) That's a first date. Yeah. Oh my God. Michael, Michael, Michael. It's a great fucking movie, though. Everything. I just could watch it every day, but all right. All right, Mike Ranger. What did you bring for the movies round? Well, actually, funny enough, my movie premiered on June 25th, 1996, at the Mann Plaza Theater in Los Angeles, California and was released across the United States on July 3rd, 1996. It was the sci-fi action blockbuster Independence Day, directed by Roland Emmerich and starring Jeff Goldblum, Will Smith, Bill Pullman, Vivica Fox, Robert Loggia, Randy Quaid, and the guy from Taxi. The film was shot in a $75 million budget and grossed over $800 million at the box office. The film was the resurgence of the disaster and sci-fi genre and a prime example of a Hollywood blockbuster. Absolutely amazing promotion helped make it the highest grossing film of 96 and continued its hot streak on both home video and uh, and rental markets. This is probably one of my earliest memories of going into Blockbuster and seeing like a million copies of something. Yep. And uh, spawned books, video games, behind the scenes, CD-ROM, toys, uh, radio play. And in 2016, a terrible sequel. So in 1996, the question of whether or not we are alone in the universe was answered. On ID4. In 2016, they blew off its legs. Yes. <laughs> yes, they did. They they plucked the legs and then made it walk. What was the bullshit thing? They like put up a website that said that uh, Captain Hiller had died in 2006 or something, so they didn't have to put him in the other Oh, God, what yeah. a piece of shit that was. The minute that, that Will Smith wasn't going to be in the movie... They shouldn't have made them. Yeah, exactly. They should be like, ah, you know what? We're good. Did that even make money, though? I, I'm, it did make money worldwide. Oh, it did. Worldwide, yeah. it made money. But it was, I mean, did you guys see it? It's really bad. It's bad. It's so terrible. It's, the the yeah. cast. It's just They bad. don't even belong in the same room. Like, there's no chemistry. No, whatsoever. it's, it's terrible, man. It's not like the first one. That first one's great. Yeah. I saw that, I saw that four times in the movie. Yeah, movie. me too. It was great, man. That was 
exciting time. Yeah. I, and we just talked about this on an episode when I, oh, well, actually it was last week. We were talking about Wild Wild West. Like, Will Smith was killing it in the 90s. He was oh, yeah. he had bad destroying boys and... movie after movie after movie. Then he did Wild Wild West. Made in America. <laughs> God, he had a ton. Like, that was just, uh, it was insane. He put something out and everyone wanted to see it until uh, 1999. All right, Man Crush. What did you bring for the movies round? All right, so let's go uh, June 20th. Of 1975, and it's been a minute since I've had a real juggernaut, but I think I've landed on one, and I think you guys just slam dunked it for me. Matter of fact, I, I own this one on RCA disc growing up. It wasn't quite in the Man Crush 3. However, I do have a, an update about the Man Crush 3. After speaking with my mom, we went out to lunch last week, and it appears it might actually have been the Man Crush 5. So we had uh, Grease, Airplane, Friday the 13th, of course. And then the two extras that my mother said I watched religiously, which were Rocky Two, yep. and Flash Gordon. I mean, it definitely makes sense to me. Uh, as a kid, I always preferred to see Rocky actually win the match. Spoiler. If you've never seen that, <laughs> I feel sorry for you. And I'm a Jets fan, so of course... I'm going to go rooting for the quarterback who saved the universe. Uh, any day of the week, I'll put that up against any amount of rings. But, uh, yeah, we had uh, those are two. She, we were talking about, like, the RCA discs, and she brought up those two that I watched all the time, and she left out the other three like they didn't exist. So I'm adding those two on. So it's actually it's the Man Crush 5 now. Okay. That's what we have for the, the full boat of that. Anyway. This movie right here, it brought in, it's based on a book, and it brought in about $489 million at the box office. You're talking about, this is 1975, <laughs> okay? So that's around $2.4 billion in 2021, and at this rate, the, the way that we're printing money, this will be $10 billion by 2024. And I told you, like we're talking about a juggernaut here. Uh, if this doesn't win this round, especially after what Dave just said, first name coming out of his mouth, it is an absolute mistrial. Uh, not only did this destroy numbers-wise, but this film, it's also credited as being the first summer blockbuster. So without this one, well, you know, we'd still get movies, but like this was credited as summer blockbuster. Independence Day, summer blockbuster. Goonies... Probably not a summer blockbuster, but still a pretty iconic movie. Uh, but going into the history on this one, it's pretty amazing. We're, we're talking about Steven Spielberg. We're talking about directors, how one director can change everything about a movie, right? The original director for this film was supposed to be Dick Rob Dick Richards, okay? Uh, probably the most uh, redundant name in the history of names. <laughs> His name was Dick Dix, okay? But in one of the, his first meetings with the producers of uh, the producer and the studio executives, let me let me paint the picture for you. See, so he he wanted to begin the the entire movie with the camera emerging from the water, right? To show the town. And then a shot of a whale coming out of the water. And he was immediately fucking fired for not knowing the difference between a whale and a shark. And, uh, but anyhow, this is a, it's a little movie. It's about, you know, a little beach town in long Island, New York. 
are, are close to Long Island, New York. It would also win three Oscars. It would get nominated for one more. So if you're in the mood for a thriller that actually feels exactly like a real-life horror movie, Steven Spielberg, Fish That Eat Kids, Mutilated Extremities, Chicks in Bikinis, Movies Based on Books, Drunk Fishermen, Bullshit Politics, Autopsies, Richard Dreyfus, Roy Scheider, and the great white shark named Bruce. Then go out and watch Jaws before you head to the beach this summer. Dave Schultz in your flowered shirt. <laughs> Get Jaws, baby. I like how you bring up stuff. I think we talked about my shirt off air. Yeah, so, I so just bring no it back one up. no one knows what the hell or why you brought that up whatsoever. You well, just, you just you're giving it context. Thank you. Well, yeah, I got to explain it now because you just felt the need to, to say Dave has a Hawaiian shirt because he's going on vacation, and that's a dad thing and, to do. And I'm an awesome dad. And so. what what are you going to show with your buttons down? What is it called? My my boobs. <laughs> <laughs> my man More boobs. That. No, whatever you say. I was say your hair dicky. You, you call it a hair dicky. I call it moss. But right, either either way, my chest is completely sexy, awesome, and I'm afraid to show it because people are going to immediately try to reach out and grab it and touch it and yeah, try to emulate you're it. You have to beat them off with a stick. Oh, yeah, I don't need a, a nuclear bomb. Are you kidding me? A stick won't do the trick. No way. I'm nothing but, <laughs> but a you pure know what? meat. In this round, mm. even though like Mike came with his June of uh, 96 had an amazing movie, if it wasn't that, this round, what would you say the best movie of 96 was? I think that's probably there. Like that's for me, probably, that's probably it. That's so probably for the, you. That was it. the biggest movie. I would think. Yeah. Of 96. So this makes this tough. This is a fucking tough round. Off to you, Dave Schultz. Oh, okay. Usually Mark announces me. This is very yeah, unusual. I, like is, uh, I feel special. <laughs> I feel unique. You know, um, let's see. 1975 shitty pick. Terrible choice. I don't know what Man Crush was thinking, even bringing this up. This is weak sauce. I mean, come on. Come Barracuda. on. Barracuda. Yeah, piranha. Um, First of all, let me just point out that it's a shark. Sharks don't have legs. No. No, they don't. They do have names, like Bruce. Uh, Which is actually the name, like uh, Spielberg named it Bruce after his lawyer. Oh. Yeah, okay. I, one thing yeah. I, I got to say about that story you gave, uh, you said Dick Richards. Yeah. And I love it when people, I mean, he has the S at the end of Richards, so it's not just Richard, but I like it when people have two first names uh, as their first and last name. Because when I was a teenager, I had a friend, and I'm just going to say his name now, because uh, being on this <laughs> show, he's going to be famous. But his name was Mike Paul. And so my point is, whenever I'd say something to him, I'd say his both names. I would never say Mike. I'd be like, hey, Mike Paul, what are you doing tonight? And he used to get pissed. He's like, dude, dude, my name is Mike. My last name is Paul. It's not two words put together. I'm not French, all right? I don't have this fancy-ass fucking name. I'm like, dude, whatever, all right? But um, uh, so you know what's fucked up about what? the name Dick Richards? What's that? Is His his first name was probably Richard, so yeah. it was Richard Dick, Dick. Richards. Yeah. Oh, I see. Which Dick, is Dick. like, that's bad. Like, why? All right, well, let's uh, let's get back to the, the topic at hand here. 1985, Goonies. I, I actually agree with the critic. I did not. I didn't. I don't like Goonies. Wow. I don't like that movie at all. And I recently uh, watched it with my nine-year-old, and now I'm one of those uh, helicopter parents, right? Because I was exposed to everything as a kid, and uh, maybe that's why I swear so much now. But I don't want him hearing cuss words or seeing gross stuff. I, it's just one of those things. Like I even cough 
because I always have the captions on TV. So if I see like there's a, a bad word coming up, I, I just make a loud noise and it annoys everybody in my family because they're like, he knows good words from bad words. You don't need to censor it by coughing, but now it's just like an instinct. I can't control it anymore. But even then, the movie just, it's not a good movie. Like when I was a kid, I liked it. But as an adult, rewatching it, I'm like, this movie's fucking sucky. And, and just uh, to let you know, my kid loved it. So maybe it's just one of those things, like it's a generational. Like your kid likes, yeah, he likes movies better than you. That's what? Yeah, maybe when you watch what? it as a child, what? you're like, wow, I want to be like these cool kids. I want to go on an adventure. I want to have. But when you the, watch yeah. it as an adult, you're like, oh, fuck these kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How dare? How dare they save their fucking parents' whole neighborhood? Right. Yeah. yeah. Fucking you know? scumbags. Scumbags. <laughs> risk their lives. They go up against the fucking mafia. What a bunch of the assholes. Fratellis. Yeah. Yeah. Bullet yeah. holes the size of matzo, matzo balls. balls. <laughs> who was the uh, who was the woman in that movie? Because she was from uh, Owen. Uh, Throw oh. Mama from the train. Yeah. Owen. Yeah. The salted ones make me choke. <laughs> yeah. It's wet, ain't it? Uh, yeah, but yeah. Listen, I mean, like when you were going on about the critic just ripping it to pieces, like I kind of was like, yeah, I, I can get behind that. I like that. It's got a funky beat. I can dance to it. This guy, he, we're in the same groove, but. Uh, 1996, Independence Day. I'm very disappointed that uh, Mike just would not acknowledge Judd Hirsch. Calling the guy from Tech. I mean, this man has had a pretty good career, and for you just to toss him aside like a piece of garbage. Yeah, ev- everybody that watched that movie was like, yeah, that's the guy from Taxi. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, I kind of get that, too. And he drives a bus in the sequel. When I see him, I go, there's the guy from Dear John. Right. That's what I say. This fucking Judd Hirsch. That was a great television series that uh, apparently nobody watched. But okay, I watched Dear John. That was a good show, man. Well, you're a smart guy. We already established that with your Swamp Thing pick. So <laughs> you're, you're trending up, Mark. No matter what oh. anybody says about you, you're going in the right direction, kiddo. Uh, Independence Day is fucking huge. Massive. I mean, it's one of those uh, movies where it, we just talked about Jaws. It, you can watch it anytime. Any mood you're in, if it's on, like if you're channel surfing, you would stop and just be like, oh, cool, Independence Day. I've seen this 8,000 times, but what the hell? Let's go for 8,001, you know? But Man Crush, as he tends to do, does have a good point. Would we have the summer blockbuster without Jaws? I mean, Jaws was also a, a film in itself, which was amazing. Like you mentioned, it was horror, but you didn't really have to see the 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 evil character the the shark the music set the tone in many ways it was just would you show your kid that movie jo- yeah he hates it he fu- oh really? man, it terrifies it's just because he's oh okay well that's what it's meant to it, do it's a, right? and that's what it did it's fucking great but I mean even the characterizations in the film the, the friendships formed and uh, Captain uh, Quint I mean God it's just uh, it's immortal you know what I mean crushing that Gansett oh man and, and me being from New England. And I live in Texas now. Everybody wants me to do the the Chief Brody uh, Harvard Yard bit that he does in the film, <laughs> which I don't mind half the time, but because I love the fucking movie. I mean, that movie is fantastic uh, to the point where I actually think Jaws two is very good too. And I get into a lot of arguments with people over that one because they're like, "Yeah, sequels are never good." I'm like, Jaws two is pretty fucking good. It's pretty close to the original, if you ask me. But I'm not a a movie buff per se. I'm just a humble guy who likes sharks but um yeah i I was dissing you man crush in the beginning i was just joshing i was just playing around i was just ribbing you a little bit but uh jaws has to win here (laughs) is i mean come on we all know it 
right? Do, did you know that uh, Dreyfus and uh, what's Quint's name? I always forget. Something Shaw. Robert? Is it Robert Shaw? I think it's Robert Shaw. Yeah. I, I don't want to. But uh, they didn't get along. They didn't get, they hated each other. And he, uh, he talked with a granddaughter. And he had a drinking problem. Yeah. He yeah. had like that guy had. So that, that whole scene, remember the scene where they're on the boat and they're all drinking, mm-hmm. yeah. waiting for Jaws yeah. to come. Uh, he tried to do that that night after he drank. And I guess um, from what Roy Scheider said was the guy was like super nice, super nice dude until he had like one drink and then he was a total douchebag. <laughs> and uh, that scene, he just obliterated it. It was fucking horrible. So they they took off for the day and he went to Spielberg and said, hey, look, man, I'll come back tomorrow. I won't drink. We'll do the, the take over again. And Spielberg told him, OK, he came back sober and they nailed it in one take. And if you watch that scene, I watched it again last night. It actually you think he's drunk. Yeah. But I would love to see that that footage. Oh, my God. Yeah. That of would that. be incredible. And they said that's why it's so great because the the tension between him and Dreyfus on the set right. just lended itself to the, those two roles, which which is funny because like in certain scenes I always thought that it felt like uh, they were kind of like friends. Mm. In yeah. the beginning when they first met, they were you know when he was like looking at his hands and he's like oh basically he's like you you have soft hands you're a, you're city guy. But when they get out on the ship, I didn't feel like that was there. I felt like they were closer than Roy Scheider, who seemed like he didn't know what the fuck was going on. He was like, oh, how do I tie this knot? How do I do this? Yeah. But like, what a fucking great movie, dude. Even like this many years later, and I just watched it. I was, you don't care about that there's no technology, there's no cell phones, there's like whatever they're using in the water. It's just amazing. It's an amazing fucking movie. Yeah. And it's Robert Shaw. I just looked it up to make sure I didn't sound Robert like it. Robert Shaw. Okay. But uh, the, the whole thing, the whole production was a complete disaster too. Like they said, at yeah. the end of the, the shooting, fucking Spielberg was out of there. He was on the first plane, gone. And sure. uh, the second director or whatever was working. Dude, just the weather, everything, a mess. He had, they have an excuse for that though, because this is like the first movie that they ever did on the water. I know. Yeah. Like in the actual ocean. So, I mean, this is 1975. It's like, it's not like 2021 we're talking about. Yeah. So it's fucking amazing what they did with that movie. Spielberg absolutely killed it. If, and that's why I brought up Dick Richards, because if that if they went that way, we wouldn't have that summer blockbuster. Right. Who, who knows how that would have come out? It would have been like Piranha. Well, which is like more like a comedy. Like when we're watching it, like what the fuck is going on? Unlike uh, Mary F. and Moffat. What's her name? Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen Moffat. Man Crush didn't break my heart. Yeah. He, uh, he, he, he brought a fucking that's that's a huge, huge movie. I mean, when you saw that doing your research, you must have like had a bona. Oh, I did. Cause um when I had 75, at first actually going through a lot of this stuff and digging back, initial we know where to look now. So you look, you get your initial looks, and I was like, ah, oh, this is not gonna be good. I was like, I got like one round. So you got you start digging in, and then I'm like, oh fuck, I got this, I got this, and I was like, I can hang. That's why when Mike came with the full year of '96, I was like, ah fuck it, let's do it, because I think June of '75 is pretty damn strong. So I, I'm interested to see how this last round boils down. All right, man, crush, you jumped out to the lead, and we're heading into the final round, the television round. All right, with this one, I'm gonna defer. To Mike, since uh, Mike should have the full year on 96 with this one. So uh, I'm interested. 
before I go into this, how, uh, <laughs> how you guys fare. All right. Well, uh, it's actually pretty, I guess it's a good thing that I, I didn't do my research properly because had I done my research properly, I probably would have went with the June 23rd broadcast of uh, King of the Ring. Uh, but Dave's here, so that wouldn't have worked yeah. out so good for me. So um, what I went Wait, with- Wait, was Coco beware in that? Um, you know, no. I'm not quite sure. Not I think Steve Austin is, but- Yeah. That's a good one, though. Yeah, I, 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 I wasn't watching. But um, yeah- <laughs> So, uh, since I improperly uh, did my uh, homework wrong, put the wrong social security number on my application, I'm going to go with uh, September 13th, 1996. On CBS, Everybody Loves Raymond premiered and ran until May 16th, 2005. The show follows the life of Raymond Barone, played by comedian Ray Romano, who plays a sports writer living on Long Island with his wife and kids and his parents and older brother living across the street. The show ran for nine seasons and 210 episodes, as well as having crossover episodes with King of Queens and The Nanny. During its run, the show was nominated for 69 Primetime Emmy Awards and won 15. The show was also nominated for 21 Screen Actor Guild Awards and stayed in the top 15 from season three until the end of the series, proving that everybody loves Raymond. Wow. Great show. Yep. Would have been nice if it premiered in June. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're de- we're dealing this one in even hand. This is like whatever you have, we're it's even keel. So yeah, but this um, is like a fucking participation trophy. If I had is. won anything, <laughs> hey, I would fucking. You go home and you feel however you want, but like yeah, during the right. show, we're gonna go even keel. I can't even go some home and look like in the eye right now. Hey, before we go there next week, uh, for the people that like deep dives, we're going to have a genre episode since Mike uh, kind of did one this week. But it's going to be all canon films. Uh, we got the guy. I got the book right here. I'll show you guys. He sent me a copy. It's uh, Canon Films Guide Volume 1. We're going to have Austin Trunick is going to be our guest judge. And that episode is going to be all canon. Uh, we haven't picked the dates yet, but I think... Uh, you guys are both on the show. Mike and Mark are also doing this one again. I, th- I think we'll just do all 80s to make it fun. Yeah. You know? Uh, so if you're in the mood for that, come back for that next week. And if you're watching us on YouTube, go ahead and hit like, hit subscribe, hit fucking drop a comment, call Mike uh, or whatever for uh, for bringing the wrong thing. What I, We don't care. <laughs> just comment stuff because it, it all affects the algorithm. And we need to get that back because we're just starting this stuff up on video. And without that, YouTube will never push our stuff out. So we won't talk about COVID, <laughs> which will probably get us knocked down. So Mark can cut that out later. And uh, yeah, just go ahead and uh, comment, like, subscribe, do all that fun stuff. And we will be back for the people that come to our lives that we've been doing. Uh, we don't do them every week because Joe's our producer. So we get Joe when he's here. Uh, Joe is actually going to be away for this episode right here. Obviously, you're watching it on recording. And for that Canon episode, we'll be back. I think it's the week after that. Uh, so uh, just look for it. All right, guys. So we're in the television round. Uh, let's see. All right. My television pick debuted June 3rd, 1985. I give you. Larry King Live on CNN. Now, Larry King Live starring, yeah, you guessed it, Larry King, would become CNN's most watched program and the longest running program with over 1 million viewers nightly. 
Uh, the show would last a whopping 6,120 episodes all the way up until December 16th of 2010. In his overall 53 years in broadcasting, Larry King amassed over 50,000 interviews, now adjusted for inflation, that's, uh, you know, over 500,000 interviews. So <laughs> He got 10 Cable Ace Awards, an Emmy, a Peabody Award, and even an entry into the Guinness Book of World Records for having the longest-running show with the same host in the same time slot. So... Even if you've never watched the show, everyone seems to remember the kind, the iconic look of the set, the suspenders, the glasses. To me, Larry King kind of always looked like a grouchy old owl. You know, in it, in the show's twenty-five years lifespan, uh, King would interview some of the world's most interesting and powerful people, alongside like a slathering of salacious current hot topics. Over the years, we saw Larry King interview Frank Sinatra, Marlon Brando, and who could forget the back-and-forth trading jabs with Jerry Seinfeld in 94 over why Seinfeld got canceled, uh, his coverage of the O.J. Simpson trial with Johnny Cochran, and then his almost obsession with the death of Anna Nicole Smith. In that time, in 1993, when he had Al Gore and Ross Perot on, at the same time, and it just fueled all the, the writers for SNL for like the next five months. But it all started June 3rd, 1985, when the governor of New York, Mario Cuomo, as King's very first guest, uh, they talked about his legacy of, the, of being the 52nd governor of New York and why he's called Hamlet on the Hudson. So I give you Larry King Live, June 3rd, 1985. All right, Man Crush, it's over to you. What do you have for the television round? All right, so let's go June 16th of 1975. And before we go there, I think it's worth to say this is June, so you're not going to get a lot of debuts. You're not going to get a lot of debuts. You're not going to get a lot of closures. That stuff's over. So you're you're heading into the summer months you got to start looking. You got to start looking for stuff. Of course, Mark came with Larry King. That's kind of like a little abnormal coming in June. Um, Mike came with the whole year. So, of course, he's get, <laughs> he gets the debut of his show. I had to go a little bit outside the box. So let's go June 16th, 1975. And this one, it kind of piggybacks on several picks, several picks I've had over the last two months or so. So when I saw this article, I decided – to go this route for television. Uh, and we always bring up when networks screw the pooch. This time around, a network actually did something right. Oh. So right around this time in 1975, ABC was the third-ranked network. But being third in 1975, when there were only three networks, meant you were also the worst. So obviously, ABC was looking to ignite the anything in the ratings and they did have some good decent stuff at the time which included 11 returning shows they also had monday night football but they really they needed somebody that had an eye a keen eye for quality television meanwhile let me just give you a little backdrop at over at cbs they were riding the vice president of programming to the top of the ratings year after a year for five years. And that guy was Kent or Fred Silverman. He had, he'd been there for five years. He brought CBS massive hits. He'd 
Tyler, our Mary Tyler Moore show, All in the Family, and MASH. Just over the last several years. So this dude was slaying at CBS. Matter of fact, he also brought in Good Times to destroy the new 1974 Happy Days, which apparently was working because Happy Days was on the brink of cancellation and they were in 49th in the rankings or the ratings rather when their second season concluded in May 1975. So at this point, it's like, what was ABC to do? I'll tell you what they did. They threw copious amounts of money at Fred Silverman and it worked. And on June 16th, Fred Silverman, he took over as a president of ABC Entertainment and he would lead the charge for daytime and evening programming for the next three years. So over the course of the next three years, Silverman took ABC from cellar dwellers to serious contenders to the top. For example, and I tie this to my pick from a few episodes ago, he brought in the enormously popular Jiggle TV, uh, like Charlie's Angels, which was my pick from a couple years or from a couple years ago, from a couple episodes ago. And he also brought Battle of the Network Stars. So if you were into like hard nipples, it was all over that show. <laughs> then he added another one of my picks from a few months ago, Three's Company. Massive, massive success for ABC. Then he brought in Love Boat, another tie-in from last week's Worst of episode, which of course wasn't Love Boat. It was Love Boat the Next Wave, but it kind of ties in. He brought in Fantasy Island. He brought in Good Morning America. He brought in Roots. He brought in The Bionic Woman. Eight is enough. Uh, Donnie and Marie. He extended General Hospital and One Life to Live to a full hour. And then on Saturday morning cartoons, he he ditched Filmation and he brought in all Hanna-Barbera content. And on top of all that, he took that 49th rated Happy Days and turned it into the number one show on television within like a year and then spun that off into Laverne and Shirley which was another number one show. All, all this happened in three years. I mean, that's pretty damn impressive. So I bring you the hiring of the new ABC president and savior, the man they called in this article that I found the TV wonder boy, the 37 year old Fred Silverman, June 16th, 1975. Just a giant in the industry. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. And then he actually, he ended up leaving ABC to go to NBC. Yep. He didn't do as well when he went to NBC and then he started his own production company making like Jake and the Fat Man and like all these other fucking shows. But during this period, like during this decade, he f this dude killed it. All right. Let's toss it over to Judge Dave Schultz for his final ruling on the television round. Okie dokie. Uh... I don't know, man. Crush. I'm gonna start with you. Was this guy Silverman, right? Fred Silverman. Fred. Fred A. Uh, the thing is, everybody's got a boss, right? You know, and really, they take credit for everything. Oh yes. They let don't me really... stop you right there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, whoa, okay. Let me stop you right there. Let me let, let me hear. Throw, let me throw this name out at you. Mm -hmm. Dick Richards. He would have yeah. been everybody's boss. <laughs> Do you think Jaws would have? You just agree with me that Jaws would have been probably a piece of shit. 
Well, I mean, but, I don't know if it had been a piece of shit. This guy took it probably wouldn't have been as good. But I mean, I mean, look at all the talent like that was assembled there, right? It, it wasn't just him. He's sitting behind a desk or on a yacht, uh, snorting copious amounts of cocaine with all that money he got, and he's just going, "Yeah, sounds good. Okay, that sounds good. This is good." And he's just signing, signing his name. You know what I mean? How hands-on was this guy in the actual process of creating this this media empire? You know what he, I mean? It, I just told you he was. I mean, yeah, he, but we we don't know. No, we do know. Like, no, you, you don't. We do because this was 45 years ago. So we, we mm. can go back in the history logs and see what this guy brought to the network. And he brought juggernauts to mm. a shithole at ABC. He killed it. Dude, I'm telling you, if you look at CBS's history from those first four years that he was actually it was five years, that he was at CBS. You saw those shows that like that's just a yeah. coincidence that he brought like mash to the to CBS and then he goes over to ABC and picks out all these great shows, swaps the the time cards and time slots to make sure that they're all huge. Dude, come on, you can't you don't take Happy Days from the 49th show to number 1? Ah. Come on, yeah, man. No, no, listen, I understand what you're saying. I get it. I understand what you're saying, okay? But the thing is, you you understand my point too. We're in he, he wasn't uh, the creative mind behind some of these. These things were brought to him, and he said, "Yes, that's a good idea," or "No, that's right. a, not a good idea." So he, at the same he hit- time, if the, if that guy was like, "Nah, I don't like it," which was what was happening at ABC, uh-huh. then what? Then you get a you get a nothing. Career. You're you're the third network out of three, and you're making J- uh, Jake and the Fat Man. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we're, right? We're talking about so the nineties. I understand, but I'm saying like that was his peak, right? He had a good run, yeah. and I understand that. But do you at least kind of see my logic here? No. Oh, get out of here! No, dude. Like get I out just, of here. I listed like almost uh, ten it, I get insane it. shows. I this get guy that. brought I to the table. I understand, and you told me he changed the time slots. He did that, but maybe his secretary was like, you know, Happy Days would have been better at seven thirty. He's like, damn right, it would be Shirley. <laughs> You got it. Go get, me, go get me a cup of coffee and and, and that get probably my wife did happen present. because it was 1975. But at the same time, you know? he listened to her and he was like, "Yeah, it's a good idea." Let's yeah, do it. no, no, right. But you're only as good as the people who surround you as well. So and, no, I'm, I'm not he, trying to discredit the fact that under his it sound, leadership, it sounds like you are. Well, I'm just like trying to establish the fact that everybody has a boss and most of them are cocksuckers, right? It doesn't sound like <laughs> this guy was. Well, I don't know. All right, well, let's move on real, real quick here. Let's go to uh, 1985, where uh, Larry King made uh, Suspender Sexy. Oh, yeah. That's pretty important. That's he, really important. He looked I like a skeleton. So. He did. <laughs> or as Mark called him, an owl. An owl. Yeah. Yeah. Mark would have seen him in the woods and said, uh, Mr. Larry C- King, how many licks does it take to get to the center of his hissy roll pop? And Larry King would say, I don't know. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so, you know. But yeah, it was uh, Larry King, man. That was a hell of a run. That was that was something else, yeah. you know. And speaking of the Jerry Seinfeld thing, he was in a B movie. He was. That's why he interviewed yeah. Seinfeld on was for the promo for B movie, and then the two just kind of got into it. Yeah. And ninety uh, six, where uh, Mike has the the entire year to graze and roam. Uh, <laughs> everybody loves Raymond. You guys said you loved that show. I wasn't a fan of it. I couldn't get into it. It was never my thing. It's like uh, Home Improvement, right? People talk about that show like it was this great sitcom and what have you, and I just I can't sit through an episode. I can't do it. I was never a Home Improvement fan, but I think uh, Everybody Loves Raymond was good. Well, I give it credit for having a crossover with The Nanny. 
That's, that was important. Funny story about that. Uh, oh, oh boy. The, the, the whole reason that they did the crossover was because I guess Ray and the nanny attended the same high school. Really? And they knew Fred Silverman. They, they, they might have. They might have, or, or maybe just one of them got him coffee while he was, you know, coming just, up with his ideas. Just haphazardly choosing shit. <laughs> yeah, that's probably, he probably just had a dartboard. He yeah. said, you know what? Ah, give Fonzie a better jacket. <laughs> Opie, kill him off. Yeah. Oh, wait, my bad. Go. That No, it's send him to college. Whatever. Get rid of that other Cunningham guy. Just have him go up the stairs and never come back. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean, guys, th this round is interesting to me because when you talk about the legacy, the history, of course, man crush came with, with a big gun here, but I'm all about fight the power. I, I don't like the man. You know what I mean? That, that's me. No, I, I'm, I'm more for the I don't know what you mean. I, I think you're being biased, dude. Like bias. You gotta, you gotta look at it and say like, Hey, this guy came, he kicked fucking ass. You, you yeah, have a history to go back on. It's not like you, you look at the opinion and go. Oh, he was there and just because he was the boss, he deserves no credit. They were a shithole. This he got pulled away from a net, network that he he was killing mm. on and then continued to do that over at ABC. I get it. I told you. I am getting a nickel for every time I say I understand you or I get it. It's like <laughs> counting the the uh that's the way I, don't I like think it. You uh -huh. are. I don't think in you Casey in the sunshine. I just I just hate bosses. I hate my boss. Eighty six I hate your boss. I don't even know your boss. I hate his fucking guts. <laughs> I can't stand him. Because he's a boss, right? What so if this like, guy yeah. was the coolest shit? Like he walked in, and everyone was like, "Yo, Fred's here!" Oh, like, how do you know? Maybe he brought the, the coke was. for everybody. Maybe that's what it was. That could have been it. That's why ABC went from the basement to to where it was with all those fantastic yeah. programs. I I really can't tell you, and that's what I mean. It's like we know he was the figurehead. He was the guy in charge, but how much uh, he actually, you know. What was he kneading the dough? Did he just uh, wait for the pie to come out of the oven? And he went, oh, look at my pie. These other motherfuckers cooked it. But because I'm the boss now, it's my pie. And it's a delicious pie. You know what I mean? TV, bro. They weren't doing like Excel spreadsheets. He was picking yeah. the shows to be on television. Well, I mean, I bust you a hump. Jiggle TV, really... bro. He brought yeah, you know it. What? That, that, that's a question because uh, anybody uh, watching on YouTube will notice that when Mark was talking about Larry King Live and he brought up the uh, Anna Nicole Smith, you, what are you doing? Were you juggling? I, no. <laughs> I was trying to hold up her boobs, but I realized- Oh, that's my, what that I, was. I realized my camera was too low. <laughs> yeah, you were doing like this thing. I'm like, is he trying to weigh something? Is he, This is heavier than this Interesting this uh, is... cast back to our last episode. My movie mm. pick was supposed to have Anna, Anna Nicole Smith. And she ended up getting sued for $4 million because she didn't go in the movie. Uh, so go check out the last episode, too. So that was a good tie back. Yeah. Mark. And, and you're going to get sued for $4 million for uh, molesting her virtually yeah. on the She's show with your, with your hands. She's dead. Like that makes it any better. <laughs> this, is gonna, this is like the longest decision in the history of dueling decades. <laughs> this really is. This is drawn Not out. Not really. I, like, I, I love when you come on because I can argue with a judge. When we have celebrity guest judges on, I can't argue with them. And it, and it's funny because thinking back on it, when we book these people, they mm. probably listen to the last episode and they listen to this and they're like, oh, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah. this. That Dave Schultz guy, what, what a prick. No, I, I meant like show. me. I'm the prick. You're just another judge. Oh, oh excuse me. Oh, you're, you're fantastic. Yeah, I'm just chopped liver you know, over You know here. what I'm saying. Mr. Chopped liver. 
Fucking guy. You know what? Yeah, whatever. I was about to give you the fucking round, but now you pissed me off. You made me angry. You never make the judge angry. No, but seriously here, uh, uh, I don't know, man. The thing is, Man Crush, he, he's kind of like, uh, gets you with the words, right? He, he gives this long, elaborate <laughs> tale, and you either zone out completely, or you get sucked into it. You know what I mean? And the thing is, he always comes with, with these interesting little factoids and stuff and whatever. Uh, but the way the way you use your words is hypnotizing. <laughs> it's magic. That's what it is. But no, seriously, like, stop clicking your button. That doesn't play on podcasts, buddy. Like I said, I feel bad for the people oh, who yeah, say, yeah, I'm going to listen to the show. They don't know what the hell you're doing. You know what I mean? Oh, my bad. You're, Hold on. You're, you're doing the juggling. You're pushing buttons. Bullshit detected. Take precautions. Yeah, I'm fucking, I'm Mr. Bullshit Man, too. That's my nickname. Uh, but yeah, I mean, listen, they're all worthy picks and stuff. But uh, again, I, I, I was trying to give you the win early. I'm like, oh, I bust your hump. But really, it is a very important milestone that all these shows are made and stuff. But then you got to go argue with me and everything else. But you're lucky. I'm, I'm a nice guy. I'm a good judge. I'm a loving judge. Don't just uh, give it to, don't give it to, like, use I'm not just giving it. No, no. Listen, no, it's not like that. I'm giving it to you. Uh, not because uh, of any particular reasons or the, that you argue with me, because it's, it's impressive. It, it was, listen, I'm sorry, Mike. I apologize, but you weren't really in the running. It came down to Larry King Live and uh, uh, fucking Silverman, the cocaine, the yachts, and stealing people's ideas. I'll tell you what. Give it a mark. Mm. Give it a no, mark. Let's, listen. Let, let's take it a wild card, bro. I'll, let's take it a wild card. You just want to go to Wildcat. I don't get a fucking medal for this at the end of the day. I used to get really mad about it. I'm I'm fighting with it because it's fun, but like whatever. We can go to Wildcard. That's the first time ever that Man Crush doesn't want the points and the win. He doesn't want to win. <laughs> God damn it, Man Crush, you're gonna win this one. You're just gonna have to deal with it. All right. Well, I guess Man Crush reluctantly wins this one, but it is another win on another notch on his belt. But I want to thank Dave Schultz for coming in and being a great judge on this episode. Dave, why don't you tell everybody what's going on on Selling Out? Uh, the Selling Out Show, I want everybody to follow us on Instagram uh, at Selling Out Show because we're fucking awesome and we're a podcast and everybody's got a podcast. So, you know, be cool. Follow that. But, hey, you know, the show is fantastic, by the way. I don't know if I hyped it up enough. So you're missing out. But uh, <laughs> something else I want to talk about. Because uh, um, my birthday, I just told you my birthday's in psoriasis. June. Psoriasis. Oh. What, what? Psoriasis? You want to talk about psoriasis? <laughs> uh, my birthday's in June. It's, it's in a couple weeks from now. And uh, Sans Man Crush jumping out of a cake for me. Uh, next year. Maybe next year. Yeah. I want to let everybody know uh, I'm an old man now. Uh, I'm crusty. I'm old. So I got a new hobby. And Man Crush, you know about this. Mark, too, because I showed you some pictures. I, I've been making yeah. soap. So just like podcasting, this is uh, making soap, homemade soap, is a crowded thing, right? Everybody does it. So I, ha I had to join the fray, right? Plus, like I said, it's one of those uh, fuddy-duddy kind of things that you can do in your spare time. So uh, please, everybody out there, all the awesome audience, follow uh, at Schultz Soap because uh, that's thrilling, exciting, and titillating. It's almost like uh, virtually juggling... Anna Nicole Smith's uh, breast. So do me a favor. Where you can barely, you can barely see it. I, well, I saw it. So yeah. So follow at Selling Out Show. Go listen to our show, and then follow my my soap making on uh, at Schultz Soap. Isn't that the? Can you send me some soap? Uh, you won't use it. You make fun of the whole process. You 
No, I don't make fun of it. Listen, yeah. we got the one. Hollywood sent mm. us soap. It was just so. Mike, you want to go? Gr- yeah. Mike, go grab that one in the, in the bathroom. Hold on a second. Right? Let me go grab the soap. I just dropped it, but you I'll go grab it. it. Hold on a second. It's just so beautiful that we we don't want to use it. Mike is in our studio right now. This podcast in New York. We keep it on the sink there. I think it's just so pretty yeah, it's, that it's, nobody wants to it's use her soap. Come on now. So it's, you're saying if you get Dave Schultz's soap, mm. it's not going to be pretty, so you can oh. just use it. Oh, I use it on my balls for sure. Now, unfortunately, uh, I I use this, so it, <laughs> it's a little wet and slippery. Does it get guns on it? What's it? Was it pistols? Uh, it's bats? got bats. It was yeah. for Halloween. Oh. She sent it to us for Halloween. Yeah. Mine has stars. Oh, look at this. Isn't oh, that beautiful? That's nice. That's w- that's, that's wicked, wicked nice, nice guy. That's so nice, dude. <laughs> but yeah, this is what I do in my spare time. It's relaxing. It's joint. So the more of the awesome Dueling Decades audience that participates in my life, the the happier I'll be. And it'll be a great birthday present for me. Because, you know, again, without man crush jumping on a cake or someone provided, providing me some socks, I, what else could you do for me? You know what I mean? But follow me on social media. So make sure all of you do that. How much are you selling those for? Are you just sending? I haven't sold any yet. Oh. No, I just do it for fun. I should sell them because they're they're fucking great, right? This is the shit right here in my hands. This is like pure gold. That's what this is. Good. Send it to us. So maybe I can't put a value on something like this. It smells like bubble gum and watermelon. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> this is good, man. Well, I, I just want to throw this out there. I don't know if we brought this up before since uh, the passing. Um Tony Katane passed away yeah. a couple weeks ago, our, our second judge or second guest over the years that we've had to pass away. And she made soap as well. And Mike was on that episode. And uh, Mike uh, alluded to the fact that she was selling vagina smelling soap. No, no. I, I asked if she was if she was going to follow in uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's footsteps and, and make a vagina-scented candle, and then I asked her if she had to pick a scent, which one would it be? In retrospect, I'm embarrassed by that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. And I feel like a dick for asking her that, but, you know, not any more of a dick than I feel tonight showing up with the wrong homework. Man, I wish I could have got some of her soap, though. I don't think she ever, she never mailed it. Yeah, no. Well, rest in peace, Tawny. She was, uh, she was Mm. fun. I'll raise my massage bar. Oh, look at this thing! That's that's for a hammer. I call this one the I call this one the French tickler. Can you send us one of those? Because I just ruined this one that Hollywood gave us. (laughs) You trashed it, huh? Yeah. (laughs) All right, duelers. Well, on that note, we're gonna have to end this episode. But don't worry. If you've missed an episode, head on over to DuelingDecades.com. It's your one-stop shop for everything for the show. You'll have the video links there, the audio links and our social media links. But you can find all those right below in the description. Remember to like, subscribe, and hit that little notification icon as well. And you know what? Drop some comments on our videos. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Podcast New York. Be heard.